0: As I've said many times already, it is the year 2022. How did that happen, right? Pretty crazy. I'm sorry that I was not here with you last week to usher in the new year, but I'm excited to be here with you. And you know, I just got to say, it's hilarious how you go out of town for one week and people think that you left, like you're gone. I had three different people ask me if I had left Main Street. Um, I, I constantly underestimate people's love for drama. I have not left Main Street, uh, happy to report, <laughs> if you hadn't figured that out yet, uh, and I'm looking forward to 2022 with you. Uh, we are finishing Titus today, and it's a good summation of the entire letter. Titus has lots of themes in this short text, but two really big ideas, those two really big ideas we learned were, teach what is good and avoid what is bad. Teach what is good and avoid what is bad. This is how you build a healthy church. Teach sound doctrine. Rebuke the empty talkers. Disciple one another, older and younger, in the body of Christ. Don't let the word of God be reviled. Do good works to one another. Don't go back to your old life of malice and envy that you once walked. Treat all men with perfect courtesy Don't be led astray by various passions and pleasures. And of course, this isn't just a book about do this, don't do that. This is a book of grace. What's the title of the 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 book, right? Grace has appeared. Grace is at the center of all these things. Grace appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Loving kindness appeared, saving us by his own mercy. Jesus came with his grace to build healthy churches by his grace. He saved us, he gave us sound doctrine, he gave us the Holy Spirit that we might pursue good works in love and in truth. That is the small letter of Titus. And what we have in this final passage is a summary, as I said, of the whole thing, a final plea is kind of what I like to think of it as, a final plea. And that's a phrase that you all know comes from a courtroom, that's a legal term of of sorts. Uh, when the lawyers give their final words to the judge or to the jury, why their client is either guilty or why their client is guiltless. Those last words are often the most impassioned, uh, sincere, sometimes blunt, uh, oftentimes, you know, saying, do the right thing, right? My, we're asking you to say not guilty when you're, when the verdict comes. Um, and so in our scenario this morning, uh, we are the ones being preached to for a final plea, and we are left with a decision to make. And that decision for us to make from Paul's plea is, will you bear fruit? Will you bear fruit? October 31st, 2021, we officially replanted for the glory of God. We reconstituted as an elder-led congregational church, we affirmed the 1689 London Baptist Confession. We affirmed 35 members and purged the roles of those who had left us. We elected our first lay elder, Pastor Jay Poole. This is an incredible time to be a member of Main Street Baptist Church, I think. And what analogy have we used over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over, and over again to describe what has taken place? The seed or the plant was uprooted. Given fresh soil, fresh water, good sunlight, all the things that it needs to make it grow. Right? So now that we've like launched, we've put the plant in the ground with all these things around it. We've set up the sprinkler system that's supposed to run on every, you know, eight hours or how, I don't know. I've never had one of those, but we've set up the thing hoping that it will flourish, that it will do well, that it will grow. This is what we did in 2021. 2022 is going to be the year that we will either let the thing die or we will see it grow. Right? We put the thing in the ground, sunny spot, all the topsoil and stuff that we need. The temptation for all of us now, I think, and Satan's biggest strategy to destroy us is to keep us from good works. To keep us from bearing fruit. In 2022, we will either be attentive to the gift of this church that God has given us to take care of it, to nurture it, to grow it, or we will abandon it. What will 2022 look like for us? Will it be full of good works motivated by the grace of the gospel? Will we pour ourselves into the life of this church and the lives of our brothers and sisters who need us? Will we listen to sound doctrine and grow in our understanding of God's Word? Will we turn from false things and needless drama that only distracts us from the truth and fight the good fight of faith? Here is our final plea this morning. Praise the Lord for the little sprig that is Main Street Baptist Church. Do we want to see it bear fruit? What does James tell us? Faith without works. You know what it says. Is dead. Is dead. So without good works, without fruit, why should we be here in 2023? We have three commands in this final plea. Insist on these things. Resist these things. And bear fruit. Insist, resist, and bear fruit. Right? Look at verse 8. Verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So we begin with one of Paul's trustworthy sayings. He says this three times in First Timothy. The saying is trustworthy. Uh, One time in Second Timothy and one time here in Titus. And I wish there was like obvious commonalities, similarities that all of these statements sort of shared. But they're all pretty different. Uh, the common ground is that word trustworthy. The saying is trustworthy, which is faith, peace, faithful. The saying is full of faith. Paul says in Timothy, faithfulness implies, the saying is trustworthy, uh, good overseers, 1 Timothy 3, in the body of Christ. Uh, the the <clears throat> faithfulness implies also in 1 Timothy 4, uh, faithfulness implies a constant belief that Christ came To save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, right? Even me. The saying is trustworthy. In 2 Timothy, faithfulness implies that we know dying with Christ is also living with Christ. The saying is trustworthy. And then here, in Titus, Paul says, faithfulness implies, therefore, a devotion to good works. The saying is trustworthy. Christians do good works. And these trustworthy teachings are probably things Paul referenced a lot. Like when they heard him use that phrase, it was probably something he repeated himself a lot. They were uh, familiar with this, this, this teaching. They might have even remembered when he was there saying these things. And thus the men who teach these things are also trustworthy teachers. The teaching is trustworthy, and therefore teachers who teach those things ought to be trustworthy. In order for me to be a faithful pastor... And for you to be a faithful church, good works must be what we are about. Good works must be what we are about. Now, depending on what kind of Baptist you are, there's two ways to go here. Uh, One side of the Baptist faith is raising the anthem of um, do good things, do good things, do good things. And that is like the anthem of, of our religion. Uh, sometimes at the expense of grace and it becomes legalism, right? On the other hand of the Baptist faith is uh, when we see good works in the Bible, we tend to say, these things don't save us, right? These things don't save us. These things don't save us. So we kind of preach one extreme to the other, don't we? Um, but what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Because Christ has come and taught us how to be faithful by his own works, we are now enabled and equipped to devote ourselves to good works until he returns. Titus is a beautiful letter because what we have is this uh, uh, awesome um, uh, blend blending of, of grace and works. Not that works save us, but we read the letter walking away thinking that grace um, appeared for good works, right? You don't walk away thinking that works save you. You don't walk away thinking that grace abounds so we can be lazy. We see that grace appeared for the sake of good works. And that's what we're to insist on. We insist on these things, Main Street. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? Then you must be careful to devote yourselves to good works. Why? Two reasons. One, because God says so. And for those of us who know a holy God, right, that's good enough. But there's a second reason because it's good for you it's also good for you to pursue good works god is not only commanding you to be about good works because it's good for his glory but also because it's good for you previously in chapter 2 paul uh charged them titus and the church in crete to be zealous for good works in the body of christ towards your brothers and sisters towards the church Chapter 3, the command was to be ready for every good works in the sight of all people. All men, non-believers and believers, do good works. And now here at the end of the letter, this final plea for us to do good works is for God's glory and for our good. We do good works because it is profitable and excellent. It's profitable and excellent for us to pursue good works. Now think with your brain here for a minute. Let's put our thinking caps. Can doing something good be bad for you? Can doing something good be bad for you? Now, theoretically, I think you can do something good that gets you in trouble, right? We can be persecuted or conspired against or shamed for doing good because people love darkness rather than light. And we will be ridiculed. The Bible even promises that. But even these things, the Bible also says, are blessings to be persecuted for the cause of righteousness. If we go to Afghanistan and we preach the gospel, and we get killed by the Taliban, the Bible calls that profitable and excellent. I want you to reframe the way you think about goodness, right? What? Uh, Jesus would say is this contrast takes place when we come to Christ where we forsake the prophets of the world see them as nothing and see him as everything. What, what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul on the other hand what a great good it is to follow Christ and lose everything. The love of Christ compels us so deeply, seeing his loving kindness displayed on the cross, experience the joy of the Holy Spirit, sealing us with regeneration for the uh, eternal redemption to come, becoming heirs with Christ according to the hope of eternal life. Those who have Christ as their treasure see the profit and excellence of giving themselves away for him and in good works. Some of you here this morning may not know Jesus as your treasure. Let me invite you now before we go any further and we end this letter in Titus to repent and believe on Him today. His loving kindness has appeared. His grace has appeared to take away sin. You are at enmity with God. You cannot do away with your own sin. You cannot pay for it. The wages of sin is death. We must die to pay for our sin. Christ is, or, or the Lord uh, in his wrath pays. Uh, for our sin with our own death, and eternal death. But in Christ, we come repenting, believing, knowing that his work is enough. He died on the cross and rose from the dead that we too might die to our sins, die to our old lives and be resurrected ourselves with new hearts, new lives, new souls and be sold out for him, see something more beautiful, a better treasure than anything we might find here on earth. I invite you, friend, come and see and savor Jesus today. Do not delay it another moment. For those of you who are in Christ, I insist, I insist, devote yourself to good works. Devote yourself to good works. And you know, I think the greatest application of our day uh, is to be sure you're not just interested in sound doctrine and lofty theological conversation and, and ultimately just being right. I think we see too much of that, don't we? Um. There are too many Christians today who would love to talk about how they are right, but refuse to serve someone in the body of Christ. And that is a terribly unhealthy Christian. Terribly unhealthy, right? We don't walk away from the book of Titus saying sound doctrine is all we need. We don't walk away from the book of Titus saying good works is all we need. We walk away seeing what the whole picture of a Christ follower looks like. Who's not, not only whose brain is transformed by the power of the gospel, but whose hands, whose entire life is transformed by the power of the gospel. <clears throat> and there are really important conversations to be had. We need to talk about doctrine. Um, but at the end of the day, if that's all we're doing, we're not pursuing what is good and excellent and profitable for us. <clears throat> uh, So we are are to insist on good works partly because there are simply many who will not do good works. And it's not only those who refuse good works that we're to watch out for, but uh, those who are actually replacing it with arguments, dissensions, and quarrels over words. Number two, we are to resist these things. Insist on these things. Resist these things. Verse 9. Bonds, or uh, sorry, <laughs> chapter three. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful; he is self-condemned. <clears throat> uh, real quick. I think I deserve some kind of a reward if anybody wants to give me one. Cause I think I've made it all the way to January 2022 without using some cheap COVID pandemic sermon illustration, right? <coughs> I can't think of a single time where I said, the Great Commission is the greatest, you know, contagion in the world, the greatest virus, or, uh, or I haven't said anything, um, about how sin is the worst pandemic, right? Um, And I think I deserve a reward for that. Uh, But we had a good run, because I'm about to do one of those. Um, We had a good run. For the past two years, Americans have discovered two formerly alien items. They are hand sanitizer and face masks. Hand sanitizer and face masks. These things formerly were, they'd always been around, but We're really just for germaphobes, right? In other words, only the weirdo skeptic people use those things. And if you're one of those people, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make fun of you. Uh, But that's the way things used to be. But now, I'd be surprised if there's anybody here today who doesn't have both of those items in the console of their car. Right? A couple of y'all shaking your heads because you're proud of it. But what changed? What changed? The announcement of a novel virus that was making its way here with uncertain treatment options. And suddenly, you're not weird anymore if you use hand sanitizer 20 times a day and wear a face mask at Walmart, right? Suddenly, that's not weird anymore. Um, We're willing to embrace what was formerly strange in order to protect ourselves from getting sick. And I'm not making any kind of statement about these things. If you want me to, I'll do that, but I hope you just want me to preach the Bible um, the point is this that I'm trying to make. When a plague comes, we don't care if we look strange. We're willing to do whatever it takes to stay well. Long before COVID-19, the church has been given a quarantine of sorts to follow. Now, as a result of this quarantine that the Lord has charged us with, we have been ridiculed greatly for our behavior and our disobedience or our obedience. And what is the quarantine that I'm talking about? to avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, even if it means separating ourselves completely from people who won't stop doing those things. If you think someone wearing a face mask in Walmart is strange, how about a group of Christians excommunicating someone because they are warped and sinful? That's what it says, right? That word for avoid in the Greek is literally to turn around. If we're going to use Walmart again, right? You see that person you really just don't want to talk to, and you turn the other way around. This is what we are being charged with in Scripture, to avoid it like the plague. When we see foolish controversy, drama, pointless arguments, dishonorable speech, fights about the Word of God, we walk away. Why would we walk away? Because versus good works, which were profitable and excellent, these things are unprofitable and worthless. We insist on good works because they give life to people. We resist these foolish things because they tear people down. They're worthless. Now, it's important for us to clarify a few things to make sure we know exactly what we are to avoid. Because at the end of the day, the word of God does indeed divide us, doesn't it? Um, Jesus says, I come with a sword. He's going to divide family members against each other. We have 66 books of God's inspired, infallible, errant, word given to us that we may know the truth. And yet we have a 100 interpretations on various doctrines, 500 denominations as a result of that. And then 10,000 differing applications of how we actually do life and church. In other words, we're not all right, are we? But I want to make a quick argument that that's all right. At least some parts of that is, is all right. If you've never heard this before, right, I'm going to say something. And I think your IQ level is just going to jump up at least one notch, right? You're going to learn something. It's called first, second, and third tier doctrines. First, second, and third tier doctrines. First tier doctrines are those things that we cannot disagree on because they are central to the gospel and our salvation. If you get those things wrong, you are a heretic and you cannot be saved. By the way, that's what heretic means. We call people heretic for nothing now, you know? It used to mean you got the gospel wrong, you're not a Christian. Now it means you don't like what I have to say. You don't share the same opinion as me. Anyways, second-tier doctrines are important, but not necessary for salvation. Second-tier doctrines are important, but not necessary for salvation. Things that usually divide congregations or sometimes create entire denominations, they're good to talk about. Things that we generally agree to disagree on with peace these are things like church government, baptism, Lord's Supper, Calvinism, Arminianism, different views on God's covenant, the millennium of Christ's reign, all this stuff that we like to um, talk about, uh, <clears throat> we can agree to disagree on. Third-tier doctrines are things that matter but should not cause us any division. How many deacons should we have? Am I allowed to drink alcohol? Do we sing old songs or new songs or both? How long should the sermon be? Things like that. Now, why does all this matter? What does this have to do with Titus chapter 3? You might think I'm going to say that the foolish people in Crete that Paul was warning Titus about are those who won't stop arguing about the third tier doctrines. That's not what I'm going to say. Here's what I think was going on. Those people are annoying, right? Can I get an amen? We won't stop talking about the third tier. Those people are annoying, but they're not warped and and self-condemned. What was going on, I think, in Titus's day is that they were elevating those third-tier doctrines to first-tier doctrines. And that, my friend, is heresy. Because what you're doing is adding to the gospel. You're saying you're not a Christian if your ancestry doesn't match mine because I'm Jewish. You're not a Christian if you don't agree with this you know, tertiary issue that is relatively uh, unimportant when it comes to the great scheme of things. This is what self-condemns people. What we are to do if we are to bear good fruit together as a church is to watch out for anybody who uses that phrase. You're not a Christian If you're not a Christian, if oh man, you should just wish there was like a search feature on Facebook. How many heretics would we find? You're not a Christian, if and if the fill in the blank is not a first tier issue about the divinity of Christ, about the Trinity, or you know about um, Jesus's death on the cross, or grace, or sin and depravity, or any of those things that actually are central to salvation. You should avoid it. If it's things like you voted for, not a Christian. I know someone, listen to me, something's wrong with us. I know someone who voted for Joe Biden because they wanted to prove they can be a Christian and still vote for Joe Biden. Are they self-condemned now? They did the the ultimate sin, the unpardonable sin. What's wrong with us? You're not a Christian if you marched in a Black Lives Matter rally. Not a Christian. Can't be. You're not a Christian if you reshared some quote by a social justice warrior. You're not a Christian if you didn't go to church last week. You're not a Christian if you don't like the new song we just learned. You're not a Christian if you didn't get the vaccine or if you did get the vaccine. You're not a Christian unless you're rebelling against the tyranny of the vaccine mandate. Not a Christian. You're not a Christian if you don't pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. You're not a Christian if you don't agree with everything I post on Facebook. Don't only avoid these people Avoid their teaching. Don't listen to it. Don't be infected by it. It is a plague. What they are doing is stirring up division with a warped and sinful conscience. If they persist, the church is to warn them. If they continue to do it, the church is to warn them again. If they continue to do it after two warnings, they are to do as Jesus said in Matthew 18, consider them a tax collector, a Gentile. In other words, they aren't believers. They're self-condemned. We're not condemning them. They have chosen to add things to the gospel. They left the cross. This might sound a little unloving to some of you, but this in itself is a good work. You are calling people to repent and believe in the true gospel that they have forsaken. And friends, there is no greater work than you can do than to call someone to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest work we're we're about right proclaiming the gospel god may indeed show them their error and cause them to be born again but if they refuse and rebel even further the bible says to have nothing more to do with them or they will inflict our ability to bear fruit in this place and as things get more progressively divided and hateful My question for us is, will we continue to preach Christ and Christ alone in 2022? If the trends continue, 2022 is not going to be much better, right? And I want you to know as your pastor that I am prepared to teach you the Bible and how to respond to all of these things. I am prepared to do that if anybody was wondering. I love you, and as we teach verse by verse, God's word will address all of the things that we are going on, that are going on in this world. But for today, listen to me, we will avoid people who stir up division by adding works to the gospel. Amen? We must resist. And I've said this before, and the longer I I am a pastor, I find it more and more true. Satan's Uh, I think great. We believe in God, right? You guys believe in Satan? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, Seeking whom he may devour, uh, you know, uh, uh, he does not possess any ownership of Christians or the church. Christ is king. Christ reigns. But he is still working. Okay. Okay. And I don't think the primary way that he works is by getting governments to turn against Christianity to persecute the church. The primary way that he works is to get false teachers in among us who split us up. And take our attention off of the word and on dissensions and quarrels about the law. We must resist. We must resist. What time is it? I don't know. Uh, Last one. Bear fruit. (laughs) bear fruit. Paul uh, gives his final plea here with a personal note uh, about him and the other elders and their plans for the future. And they are good plans. Verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me, send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. We end the letter remembering for a moment that these are real people who had real plans and real hopes of a great commission, real, real zeal for the gospel. Uh, Paul went with Titus and evidently also with Zenus and Apollos and probably some other dudes to Crete to preach the gospel to start a church there. No clue who Zenus was, not mentioned anywhere else. Apparently he was some kind of lawyer. Always good to have a lawyer on your team, right? Um, he was there helping and assisting this church plant. And then there's Apollos. We know Apollos from Acts, 1 Corinthians uh, Preacher man made his way around, right? Ephesus to Corinth, to Crete, and maybe to Nicopolis. We don't have a letter to the Nicopolations. Uh, But that's where he was to go next. And uh, as Paul was busy, you know, with plans to bring the gospel to more nations and more towns and more people, he needed his people, he needed his team, he needed his planters. He cared for the church in Crete, so he made arrangements to send Artemis, Tychicus, maybe both of them, to come and assist when Titus leaves. And as we see all these names listed in Paul's plans for the future, we realize Paul was living what he was preaching. Here was an apostle, the last of all the apostles, full of good works. When he said imitate me as I imitate Christ, there's no reason for us to doubt that statement. He really was worthy of that. We have great encouragement knowing that Paul himself and all the other elders we're seriously concerned with bearing fruit. Don't we all want leaders who do the things they ask other people to do? This is who they were, and here's three things they were doing. Because sometimes good works is really generic, and we don't know where to start. When the Bible says do good works, oh, what am I? You know, I always point. You give somebody a quarter at Aldi. Is that what that means? You know, I don't know how to. What is, where do I start? <clears throat> well, here's three things they were doing. They were genuinely caring for one another. They were generously sharing what they had. And they were giving where there was a need. He says, "I, you know, I'm here where I, I care where you are. And I'm going to send people to you if you'll send people to me. Like he, he cared about their affairs. Paul didn't send people off and say, good luck. You know, he cared about them. And then he, you know, Said, send Apollos on his way, see that he lacks nothing, right? There was, there was a, a generosity of sharing resources and giving of what they had to see that everything was taken care of and then giving so that all needs were met. You know, he says, teach the people to be faithful, to give so that if there are urgent needs, those things are taken care of, right? So we've replanted. The seedling is coming up out of the ground. I want to see fruit. You want to see fruit. Let's start by really caring for each other. Let's start by really, really caring for each other. How often do you think about the people you see on Sundays? How often do you contact them personally just to check in? Just say hi. Send a quick text. Thinking about you. Praying for you. As I shared... When I was sick, I think somebody checked on me every single day. So maybe this sounds weird, but treat everybody like they're your sick pastor, right? I hope y'all get the same attention and care that I got when I was sick. I mean, I mean, I hope you do. You love me. I hope you love each other. You know. Sometimes we tend to say, "Well, no one's contacted me in weeks." Who've you called? Who've you texted? Who have you reached out to? This is Church 101. We will die and we should die if we don't care about each other. Right? I don't think that's going to happen, though, because nine days into 2022, I'm seeing lots of genuine love between these people. Good works also implies sharing what you have. Sharing what you have. Are you sharing what you have? You know, I I, I think when we read this, we ought to be thinking, man, we could really do better. As a church, sharing what we have with other, you know, networks and churches, um, they were sharing pastors, for goodness sakes. Uh, But then on the individual level as well. Do you know that everything you have already belongs to the Lord? Can you outgive God, as the old preachers used to say? Give. All you have is already His. What you have that isn't a gift Give it. Share your resources, time, money, wisdom. Live your life with a kind of attitude that bears fruit in giving towards other people. And finally, what urgent cases are there around you? Not just the homeless guy, and you try to call the pastor, you know, I don't know what to do. We should care for the homeless people. But I'm sure that every single person in this room knows somebody in their life who has an urgent need? Maybe someone right beside you or in front of you or behind you. Or it may be a neighbor or a friend or a family member. As Christians, you should be the most concerned person around them. Do you care about people who are going through urgent needs? As Christians, we should be praying not, Lord, get them some help, but, Lord, how can I help? How can I help? And, of course, the greatest work that these men were about at the end of this letter is the work of the Great Commission. They believed in the same grace that opened their eyes to the good news of Jesus Christ and changed them from the inside out. They never stopped preaching it from town to town, state to state, shore to shore. The good news of the gospel is the power to save sinners. Do you believe that? That the good news of the grace of God has appeared and still has the power to save sinners? And we got work to do in 2022, right? We have much work to do. Come to the planning meeting at the end of the month. Help us consider what the Lord would have us do this year. Let's work to see hearts transformed. Let's work to treasure Jesus above all. Let's work to teach the truth of God's Word. And we end the same way that Paul ends. Grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the grace that is indeed With us through um, the blood of your Son. I I pray, Father, that we would be sharp, um, that we would be um, stealthy, in a sense, to avoid what is false and what is contrary to the manner of the gospel in which you preach, which is loving kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control, all these things that ought to characterize us. I pray that we would run far from those things that are foolish and unprofitable and worthless. And we would uh, cling to Christ above all. Uh, I pray that you would grow this church in 2020, 2022 In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to another message from the Pulpit Ministry of Main Street Baptist Church in Spindale, North Carolina. I hope that your soul has been edified as a result of hearing the word of God preached and that God will continue to be glorified in your life as you worship Jesus. If you have any questions about the message you heard today, feel free to uh, check us out online and send an email. You can find us at www.mainstreetspindale.com or you can call us directly at 828-286-2291. Hope you have a wonderful day. God bless.